We grew up together. We believed in something bigger than ourselves. The military took me to one side of the world and her to the other. And even though she was always the strong one, when we caught up years later, I found out she had fallen on some hard times. It was her call to make, but doing it together made all the difference. For veterans who are homeless or on the brink of homelessness, call 877-424-3838. everyone. My name is Timothy Lawson. I am your host for This Week at VA. I hope everyone had an enjoyable Thanksgiving. This week's podcast features Navy veteran Michael Lumpkin, where you can apply for VA health care and our veteran of the day. But to start things off, I want to recognize Native American Heritage Month. Native Americans have served in all branches of the military, dating back to the Revolutionary War. There are currently more than 170,000 Native veterans and 27 Native Americans have been awarded the Medal of Honor. This past Veterans Day, I caught up with the Nevada Honor Flight, which was the first all-Native American honor flight to visit the nation's capital. They toured multiple memorials and monuments and ended their trip at the National Museum of the American Indian, where they were met by Secretary Bob McDonald. On that trip was Ralph Burns, a Vietnam veteran. I spoke with him at the museum about his service and his experience visiting Washington with his fellow Native veterans. I would just say uh, class of 69, I was in uh, the 1st Air Cavalry, 2nd uh, and 8th Infantry. After I got out of high school, I got into what they call a vocational school. Okay. So I was deferred for four years. And after my four years, I joined the union, was into my career in four months, and Uncle Sam called me again. But I feel good about this because at the time, when I was a painter, we were still using lead paint. I passed a civil service test and I was supposed to paint the Golden Gate Bridge back and forth. But in, in that time, you know, I was young and probably party over the weekends, you know, not being careful, because I hear now that there's a lot of workers that got blown off the bridge there because, you know, because of carelessness. So I think I probably went one of those casualties. So I think I, I did all right with Uncle Sam, but I did uh, 13 and a half months in Vietnam. As we were getting off the plane, this is back in 1970, we got off the plane, was going to the airport. Crowd out there, as we got near to the airport, things, name calling, things were flying toward us, signs came up. I mean, so I had nothing to do with the veteran service from 1970 until here 2009 I I got a service connected uh, uh, I guess from uh, the Asian orange showed up on here and I was cut but what it did was it took out my thyroid so I'm now have feel bad uh, dry mouth so far I've been treated good for the last since 2009 I I missed out a lot of my benefits, but I think talking about with the other fellow veterans here today, I felt a lot of things was taken off of me because I think I had everything bottled up. My fellow veterans talked about their experiences over there opened me up to it. So I think this was a good trip, and I think it's a good trip for everybody. And where, where 
several different tribes, and uh, you know, I think that also brought us together. You know, and it's just a good trip, and it just really touched my heart. Feature interview this week is Navy veteran Michael Lumpkin. Michael is a former SEAL who currently serves as Special Envoy and Coordinator of the Global Engagement Center at the U.S. Department of State. He's going to talk with us about life as a SEAL, his transition to government, and his recent bout with cancer. Enjoy. Michael Lumpkin, currently at the Department of State. What exactly is your, your position here? My job, I'm the coordinator and special envoy for counter extremist messaging. So basically my job right now is to uh, make sure that we don't cede space to ISIL and organizations like it in the media space, whether it be social media or uh, any other uh, media mechanism. So we're going to take, we're going to start the story where we start all of these stories mm -hmm. and that's your decision to join the military and while it's a common ally that all of us have it's unique to each person what drove you to join the United States Navy essentially it was the I had this patriotic call to service you know I wanted to do something that was uh, substantive make a difference and I you know even at a younger age realized that I had some tremendous opportunities that were given to me and available to me because of the, our country and who we are as a people. So it was my way of giving back. You became a Navy SEAL. I've only spoken to a couple Navy SEALs, one of them the more popular, Rourke Denver. Even the most elite of all the branches still look up to the Navy SEALs as far as um, the endurance and the physical and mental toll that it takes to become one, um, the attrition rate that they, that they have. What first attracted you to the Navy SEAL program and what was your experience going through that? Well, I grew up in Southern California, so I actually essentially grew up kind of as a water baby. So I was uh, in the water, whether it was surfing, scuba diving, uh, snorkeling, pretty much my entire life. So it was one of those things that it truly was known even then to be challenging. And I'm always up for a challenge. And if you can get paid for doing what you love at the same time while uh, making a, a difference, it just seemed to make sense to me. I don't, I don't like asking what the most difficult part was because I'm sure from front to back it was challenging and difficult, but what, what aspect of it sort of maybe surprised you or personally for you was a difficult uh, part to overcome? Well, most people get focused very much on the SEAL training. SEAL training is just that, is training. Um, yes, there's a high attrition rate and there's things of that nature, but there's nothing you know, I, I recognize their, their official moniker is Naval Special Warfare, but there really is nothing special about being a SEAL outside of the training. So they, they prepare you for what you're going to do, both mentally, physically, and, uh, and so when you eventually get to a SEAL team, you're ready to go. So uh, for me, is I think the toughest part of it is it's just, it's just one thing after another. There's not a lot of breaks. So you don't get to take a knee for you know, your first couple of years while you're truly learning how to be an operational SEAL. Mm -hmm. And so when you become a SEAL, that is what you are. Does it get more, I want to say relaxed, but like as you go on in your, in your career as a SEAL, do things become a little bit more, uh, you take leadership positions and stuff like that, or are you down in the, the rough of it the entire time? Yeah, I, I, you know, there's, 
I guess it depends if you're talking about the officer and the enlisted community. Uh, you know, the, the enlisted NCOs are the backbone of the community. Um, officers rotate to staff jobs, you know, uh, between their operational assignments, uh, which I will tell you is when it comes to fighting a, in a cubicle in the Pentagon or fighting in the field, I'll take the field any day. So it's just because at least you know who the enemy is and you don't always know when, when you're in the bureaucracy of what you're trying to fight. But uh, I, I think it is whether the day you raise your right hand and, and swear you know, to the oath uh, to the Constitution and to the American people to the day you retire, regardless whether you're a SEAL, officer, enlisted, whatever the service, um, it, it is pretty much uh, uh, on all the time. What's, what is the, the year window um, of I, your naval service? I, I joined the Navy in 1986 and I retired in 2007, so I did a couple of decades. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. What was your transition like? Do you, mm -hmm. uh, so what, 2007 you said? Mm -hmm. We were just, I think the military was just starting to wake up that, that the transition program mm -hmm. wasn't um, what it should be. Some, a lot of Iraq, Afghanistan veterans had done one tour and were starting to come out. What was your experience transitioning out of the, the military? Well, a transition was actually very easy for me. I was used to operating and living in ambiguous environments. Uh, and so moving out of the military, I made a transition to the private sector, went very well, um, and, and then ultimately came back into government when I was asked uh, at the senior executive level, serving both at, actually at three different departments. Uh, first as the deputy chief of staff of the Department of Veterans Affairs, then as assistant secretary of defense for special operations, and in my current assignment now at the State Department. One thing veterans sort of all experience when they transition out, regardless how successful it is, is a search of renewed purpose. How quickly did you find that with your new positions? It, it took me about 20 minutes. So it was actually very easy because there's okay. many ways to serve. Whether it is in the private sector when I was a CEO of a defense company, I was focused on put, giving solutions to our, our tactical operators. So you can do it in the private sector, just know who your customer is and making sure that you, you put their well-being and um, put the value of your offering or product um, you know, at, at, the, at the top of your priority list to make sure that it's benefiting the, the right people at the right time. And then government, when I came back into government, uh, again at VA was very uh, focused on making sure that our veterans were taken care of. Uh, at DOD, it was, it was oversight of uh, US Special Operations Command and our special operations activities overseas. It was, again, very easy to have a sense of purpose, and even in my current role at the State Department. I, I think it's there everywhere. You just have to make sure you find it and you understand it and you're comfortable with what you're doing and why you're doing it. Uh, but there are many, many, many opportunities to serve. Did you experience any emotional crisis coming out of the military? No, I, I don't think I experienced anything more than anybody else of change. But I will tell you, the only constant in this world is change itself. So I think that one of those things that we have to do is, is to learn to embrace it and create a certain amount of mental agility um, as we move forward uh, with our lives. And so transition is, we're all gonna do it. Yeah. And I, I would like to see that the services actually spent more effort and focus on it before somebody decides to get out. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's a mindset and it shouldn't be this
massive shift unless you want it to be that way. It should be virtually seamless if you have the right attitude and the right approach to it. I think that um, I know that the military and all the branches mm -hmm. are trying to revamp their transition process, getting more people um, set up for success, raising the bar for those who feel like they're ready to go, making sure that there's even more checks um, to, be, to be made. I know coming off Marine Security Guard program like me and my friends did, we could tell we were already more prepared than most of the people in our TAPS class, but a couple of us still fell on our face when we got to the civilian world because we still weren't as prepared as we should have been. We just didn't get any, because the common denominator in the TAPS program was below mm -hmm. our level of preparation, we didn't get anything new out of mm -hmm. that. And I think that's something that the military is trying to address is some people are more, are further along and being prepared, but still need some guidance and making sure they understand what the transition's like. Um, and then on the other side, VA is working with DOD to make sure, to try to make a seamless transition that once you go from active service member to veteran, that within that, within a week of that happening, you're now enrolled in VA. Uh, you still have to take the steps to get your claims and everything, but you're in the system. And so you're recognized by the system the second you show up. And I think those are, um, you know, who, hopefully those systems are effective and efficient uh, sooner than later. But it's good to see Unfortunately, it's taken a lot of crisis to um, to push a lot of this forward, but apparently it was necessary as uh, as DOD and, and the military and the VA are all trying to work together to make that transition easier. Let's talk a little bit about your bout with cancer. Mm -hmm. I'm also a cancer survivor. Uh, when I was 17, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. I know that it's a really weird situation. How did you discover that you had mm -hmm. cancer? That's that's always an interesting story. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. Is uh, I always kind of perceived myself as this guy who was, uh, I've had some tough jobs, you know, I've done, done well at them. Uh, and I, I guess as I, I saw myself as always, always as invincible. In my head, my, my body says I'm 52 years old, but my, my, my head says I'm 18 still. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm invincible still, this is the way I see, I see the world. And uh, last year, at the, uh, probably November, December, I noticed that I had a, a cough. And, and it just was persistent and wouldn't go away. So uh, I, I make use of uh, uh, VA healthcare. So that is my principal uh, and healthcare system because I've always been very, very pleased with them. So I called my primary uh, set up an appointment with my primary. I was a uh, doctor was able to get in. Dr. Melissa Turner over, over at DCVA, who's just phenomenal. She, uh, Melissa got Dr. Turner got me in, and within two or three weeks, she looked at it and she goes, "You know what? I don't think this is too bad. It just looks like something we'll, we'll get over, uh, just just a cough." And so then a few months later, the cough persisted, and I noticed that I was having a swelling in my neck. Um, so then she rapidly moved me over to an appointment to ENT. So I went to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, who uh, uh, Dr. Jessica Maxwell over at DCVA. And my first appointment, she looked at, uh, assessed me uh, as having some sort of lump in my throat as I, and, and with, in my neck, and rapidly uh, did an assessment and determined that I had throat and tongue cancer, as well as lymph cancer that had metastasized. So within five days, I was in for a biopsy, uh, which did come back positive uh, for uh, lymphatic cancer as well as throat and tongue cancer. I'm not a smoker. I'm not a heavy drinker. 
I mean, it's like, how does this happen? I mean, in my mind, if I was going to die, I was going to get hit by a beer truck or killed in combat. So, but here, here, here it is, you know, my brain says I'm invincible, and then all of a sudden I'm, I'm sitting there and being told that, you know, things aren't looking so good. Yeah. And not, not looking good for the home team here. So that is how I was diagnosed. And uh, about five or six, actually, the, the biopsy was done on 26 June of 2016. On 1 July, I had uh, surgery number one, where I had a essentially li removed all the lymph nodes out of the right side of my neck. So I have a currently have a about a 10 to 12 inch scar shaped like a hockey uh, stick running down the right side of my neck and had a good chunk of my throat, you know, and roof, and roof of my mouth cut out. Um, they, that was the first of July. Then they realized that they probably could take some more to make sure that I didn't have to do radiation or chemotherapy. Uh, Dr. Maxwell was, again, willing to be as aggressive as I was. And for me, I have a philosophy. If I can live without it, when in doubt, cut it out, is what I say, especially when it comes to, to things like cancer. And she went in for surgery number two on the 11th of July and uh, took more of my, of my throat and tongue, removed that. And right now, I, I see her once a month. I get all the scans once a quarter to make sure that it, it has not metastasized further in my body. And uh, I, I will tell you, to, to sit down and be a center in my health care, in my treatment, because I wanted to be aggressive, and she was willing to do it. Um, and, and they have panels, you know, they, they have a tumor, tumor panel that meets, and they reviewed my case, and they recommended initially, you know, we could probably maybe do this with radiation and chemotherapy. Um, and for me, that just was not the direction I wanted to go. And she, she was willing to do it. And I'll tell you what, there's many places, especially in the private healthcare system, where you don't have that ability to be the center, you know, truly patient-centric healthcare, or in this case, disease care to fix me. And uh, I, I will tell you is that every day I'm thankful that the VA was there for me, um, that when it was all said and done, I mean, I don't, I couldn't put a dollar figure on how much this cost, um, but it's a lot for all these surgeries. And they were eight-hour surgeries. These, these are not minor little outpatient deals. And that, that they were there for me when it was all said and done, I think I paid $32 is what it came down. And that was before the, uh, the, the medication, a copay on medication. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, people talk about military retirement, you know, for, it is, for what it is. Um, I will tell you the benefit is the, for military service, especially a career military service, is access to the Department of Veterans Affairs healthcare system, which with 152 hospitals, all the community-based outpatient clinics they've got, um, is it perfect? No. But healthcare in this country isn't perfect. If you look at what military members have to go through now just to get a physical, sometimes it takes two, three months to get in to get a physical while you're on active duty military. And to me, I've never had it where I could not get in within two or three weeks when, when I had an issue. And again, truly to have a, a system available to me um, that could take care of me and then made me feel like I was the most important person in the world during that time when you need it.
matters. So you you managed to avoid chemo and radiation. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful mm -hmm. because the toll that that takes on a body, um, you can recover from it. Obviously, and you lose a little bit of hair, you get it back, mm -hmm. stuff like that. I know a lot of people. It just it, be, it becomes six months of your life where your body is just beaten and. Um, I'm, I'm glad that the VA was able to uh, offer you an option that avoided that. And, and I think that the option was uh, available to me because of the advanced robotics that VA has. I mean, they use the Da Vinci robotic machine to actually do the surgery. Well, that's not available in most places. Yeah. And, and had that not been available, I would have been forced down the road of radiation and chemotherapy. And the side effects, especially for uh, uh, throat and lymphatic cancer in, in the neck, is significant, uh, with, especially with radiation. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about potential loss of, uh, you know, your, your taste, saliva glands are, are gone. Your, your life gets much more complicated. I was literally back at work in two weeks. Yeah. And, and I would not have been able to do that again, uh, in most places in the country, in most healthcare systems. You compared your, uh, your wait times at VA to mm -hmm. some that are uh, on the civilian side or in, even in the mm -hmm. military. I think one thing, um, and of course wait times are still a problem in VA. When, in, when I say a problem, there's still much to be fixed. Mm -hmm. But I think one thing that the, the narrative around all of the media coverage and all of the hate around VA has made a lot of people feel like since wait times are a problem, their wait times are now a problem. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, I do know people that wait too long to access VA, but I've heard some of my veteran friends complain that it took them two weeks to get a, a general appointment with their primary provider. I like, almost want to laugh at like how, like two weeks, like if I called on a Monday and you could see me two Mondays from now or even next Friday, that's huge for just a general checkup. And so I think that VA does not get enough credit for um, how well they compare to just about any other healthcare system on, uh, on access to primate care or for urgent care like you experienced. Mm -hmm. Rosemary Williams, Assistant Secretary of Veterans Affairs, she, um, she introduced us. She mentioned that you were fearful of a bureaucratic system. What were you, what were you afraid of? Um, actually, I, my experience with VA was I mean, since 2007, VA has been my healthcare system. Right. Uh, and, it, and it's a healthcare system of choice. I choose it. Okay. Um, so I, I understand the bureaucracy. Sure. And, but, and what the piece for me uh, was, I wasn't so concerned about bureaucracy. It was, it was I've never had a healthcare issue of this magnitude. Sure. So for me, it was truly unchartered. And, and so since I was in new territory, what I was actually probably more fearful of is that I, w I would not be, I would not have the choices available to me, um, whether to be aggressive or not be aggressive. Um, that the system would drive me down a road and I would have no recourse uh, on, on how my treatment uh, moved forward. But I will tell you what happened was the antithesis of that, whereas I had full, complete control, I felt truly on my, my, uh, dealing with my issue is that I was able to drive the direction in conjunction with Dr. Jessica Maxwell, who was, again, I, I cannot say enough wonderful things about her. Um, and, the, and the attitude 
that they had with making me the center of my own healthcare decisions. Not including your experience uh, with cancer. Um, I know a lot of retirees that, sh that don't use VA for healthcare because they have, have TRICARE. What about VA's system has you choose them over um, TRICARE or other options? Um, frankly, I, I, it's, it's easy for, for me. I mean, there, there's a proximity issue here in Washington, D.C. where I happen to live. Yeah. Um, I, I like it because they understand veterans. They, 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 uh, healthcare at, at, a, at a VA medical center is more than just going in and, and having them do an assessment and, and then fix whatever challenge you have. They have so many wonderful programs. And when you sit there, uh, when you're in a waiting room and, and uh, you have this camaraderie with the people that are there with you, they, they understand. If we're intellectually honest, veterans are unique, and you have a place that embraces that. So Tricare is, is a kind of a it, it's a, it's kind of a, a hired gun, right? They go out, they'll, they'll, they'll farm you out to who's ever in the in the system, and then they'll they'll pay the bills and they'll do that. And truly transactional yeah. in nature, it's not a family. It's, it's not it's not a this culture that understands that that can deal with. Uh, connect pieces of whether somebody has a, you know, a substance abuse issue. Um, they, they, there's VA medical centers that have gardening opportunities. It, 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 they tailor it for the person. You know, of the 24 million veterans that are out there, and uh, plus or minus, and the 8 million plus or minus that that are actually using um, the the VA system, there's about 16 million folks who are missing a tremendous opportunity. And that's leveraging and using the VA and putting themselves in the center of their own, you know, health care system where it's just not dealing with disease and the problems. As you truly, there's wonderful initiatives that are out there that, are, that are leverage technology to put you in the center, whether it's the military wellness initiative that are being starting to be embraced by the VA. There's just a tremendous amount of things out there. And I think people have to recognize that they have... Um, they have to take responsibility for their own personal well-being, and the VA is a very, very good partner. Whereas anybody else, it seems to be transactional. Yeah. And uh, frankly, that's just not what I'm interested in. Is somebody who's going to give me service based on how much money an insurance company gives them? Yeah. I, I, I would like to think that I'm not going to mortgage my well-being for somebody else's profit. So you had a relatively short experience with cancer versus most uh, survivors and that you were diagnosed and sort of done with the bulk of it pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. um, but diagnosed in June, second um, surgery was in July, and mm -hmm. after that it was just follow-ups, right? Follow-ups and, and uh, I mean, I've had, you know, you know, kind of when it rains and pours, since then I've had uh, skin cancer. Oh, okay. uh, So, and in fact, two weeks ago, I. Uh, another 19 stitches on my back. Oh my. You know, as they went ahead and removed a, a basal cell carcinoma. And, and this is all, you know, bad decision making when I've, uh, that, that water baby years and years <laughs> in the SEAL teams and all those things I discussed yeah. earlier. Is that there's a price to pay for all this. Um, and, and VA is there to make, again, continue to make sure that I'm taken care of and that I'm, whether it's the routine screenings or it's actually the you know, the cutting out of the, of the cancer. And again, my philosophy is when in doubt, cut it out. And yeah. uh, Do you still have that I'm invincible mindset? You know, um, yeah. 
I, actually, I do. It's because that VA is there with me to make sure that uh, I can continue to do what and live my life um, the way I want to live it because I feel that they've got my back to make sure that whether it's uh, those things that I can't explain of how I got, you know, throat cancer or it's to deal with my poor decision making when I was young of getting skin cancer is that it gives me the ability to feel that I'm still invincible because I've got a good, a good partner there who's kind of going through this with me. Yeah. Before we wrap up, I want to mm-hmm. talk about your service here um, in the government. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, so it was first at VA, is that right? It or, was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then um, I didn't. I can't remember the second. I was Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations right. and Low Intensity Conflict. So you've been through three departments mm-hmm. now, ending up at state. Have you enjoyed going from department to department to department and like seeing what the different cultures and the different missions and, and stuff, does that fulfill you in a certain way? Yeah, and it's funny, the longest job I've ever had um, was 25 months. And I think I got um, very comfortable moving from place to place based on, because I was in the military. Yeah. As, uh, as a naval officer, every two years, I got a new set of orders frequently to different countries, to different places. Or, and so to me, I like to go in, learn, see, make a difference. And then when I feel like I, I've built a road for my successors to drive on, um, it's time for me to move on. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's no shortage of challenges out there and there's no shortage of things to learn. And I believe that uh, we can make a difference at the same time as that we increase our, our own scope and breadth of knowledge. And I do believe that I've learned a lot about how the federal government works and when it doesn't work because VA Department of Defense and State Department are three different cultures all together yeah. within the same government um, that's focused on making sure our national security interests are, are realized. Uh, so I, I think I'm a better person uh, as well as more experienced um, member of the workforce because I've been able to be at all three. One of my favorite questions to ask veterans mm-hmm. is, um, what skills or disciplines did you learn in the military or acquire in the military that has contributed most to your success outside of the military? Yeah, no, great question. I, I think there's two things. Uh, while the military has its you know, unique role, it's, it's about people. It's about the people you work with that you're in charge of leading, mentoring. Um, so I, I'm an introvert by, by nature. I'm very, very introverted, um, but I've learned through my time in the military is that people matter and you need to spend the requisite time making sure that they're taken care of and when it's all said and done whether you're in the the mountains of Afghanistan or the deserts of Iraq or anywhere else you're all in it together and you kind of have to work together and so it's a sense of teamwork Um, but it's also about achieving the mission it's, it's about finding that balance of, uh, of mission is first, people always. And you, I think that's the way you kind of need to look at it. And I wouldn't, don't think I would have ever gotten that just by going to the private sector right out of college. I think that's one reason why veterans are attracted so much to contractor work and government mm-hmm. work. Um, because there is an underlying mission that's there all the time. You know, I, I spoke with um, Secretary McDonald not too long ago mm-hmm. on the podcast, and he admitted that in his first 
few years at Procter and Gamble, he still didn't find that purpose. He didn't feel that renewed mission. But it, once he got, once he was at a position of more responsibility, where he was a contributing member to Procter and Gamble's mission, that that is sort mm -hmm. of when he felt that more that purpose and that drive. And, and um, it's interesting how just the simple idea of a mission, whether it's a long-term, like we're never really going to get mm -hmm. there mission, or something that is you know, the goal of the next year, quickly that changes the mindset of, of the employee. Yeah, no, very, very true. You know, it's like in the SEAL teams, people focus on the SEAL aspect of SEAL team, when really team is, the, is, is really what, what it's about. People who are like-minded, who come together, got, have each other's back every step of the way, and focused on a singular mission. Uh, and I, again, I don't think there's any greater lesson that one can get out of the military um, military service is to, to how the, the balance of mission and people come together. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's a great place to wrap up right there, that, uh, that final sentiment. Mr. Lumpkin, thank you so much for joining me and taking the time out of your day to do this. And most of all, thank you for your service, not only with the Navy, but in government now as well. And I want to thank you for the same. Yeah. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. And when he needed it, he turned to VA for treatment. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. Now, this is my moment to honor my country, my family, and their legacy of integrity. It means everything to me. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. Together, we're building real friendships with veterans and their families starting with world-class care. Every day, we're helping veterans with wounds both seen and unseen. From our groundbreaking research in PTSD to our advances in physical therapy, I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Healthcare is very important, and as Michael explained, understanding your options is just as important. If you're wondering if VA healthcare is available for you, just visit explore.va.gov and click on healthcare, or go to va.gov slash health benefits for information on applying costs and access. Today's veteran of the day is Marine Corps veteran Sean Reardon. Sean enlisted in the Marines in 2003. He served as a supply clerk and did one deployment to Iraq. He was honorably discharged in 2007 and used his GI Bill to earn a Bachelor in Fine Arts in Graphic Design. Read Sean's full write-up in other Veteran of the Day posts at blogs.va.gov. That's it for Episode 6. I want to thank you all again for listening. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you spending your time here with me. If you have any feedback or questions you'd like to have answered here on the show, please tweet them to us using hashtag VA podcast or emailing us newmedia at va.gov. Be sure to visit facebook.com slash veterans affairs for more stories from our community. Next week, we'll talk with a Marine veteran about the benefits of healing arts such as yoga. I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.